Welcome to the Taylor and Jen podcast. Mornings with Taylor and Jen. Child Jen sounds like Gilbert Gottfried. I saw it and I said to myself, no. This is nuts. This is crazy. She immediately emailed this to me with lots of question marks and lots of all capital letters. And what did you say? You said, this shocks me as well. This is science. Did you say science? I said science. Science. Science of the pizza. I I was reading this article and it had a study about the way people eat pizza. And there were things on there like, you know, the very small percentage of people, I think it was like eight, who eat pizza with a fork and knife. Uh Uh-huh. Which, okay, yeah, sure. Okay. That's going to be a minority. Sure. All right. Fine. Then there were the people who fold it. Mm -hmm. I think they're from a certain city. But this is the thing. This is the number that we found shocking. Shocking. Do you know the percentage of people who pick up a slice of pizza and eat it pointy end first? You know, the normal way. Do you know the percentage of people that do that? 28%. Only 28%? If you line up three people in a row, only part of one of them is eating a pizza pointy end first. What? What? There are people who eat it crust end first and then there are people who eat it starting at the side. I don't. Wh- why? What? Who, what? Who is raising these who? humans? Only 28% of people eat pizza the right way. That's about as shocked as I've been by a percentage <laughs> in my life. <laughs> Only 28% of respondents say that they eat pizza pointy end first. I, how that? Only 20. What? what? How else do you eat pizza? What do you think about this, Jeff? First off, I can't remember a time listening to the radio where both of you have been stumped and bewildered at the same time and speechless. (laughs) He's stumped. I'm bewildered. Science has done it, hasn't it? It has. (laughs) I'm totally with you, Taylor. When you cut a pizza, it's designed to have a point for a reason. Yeah. To eat small and go big, right? Exactly. You start small and go big. You work your way up to the wider side of it. And even if you have stuffed crust pizza... It's like getting the reward at the end. Why would you eat any other way? I don't get it. Science is forcing us to ask this question. Sienna, how do you eat your pizza? Usually I pick it up and eat it tip end first. Mm -hmm. I always save all the crust. So like if I have more than one piece of pizza, I save the crust for last. You just create a a pizza boneyard and then eat all the crust. Yeah, well, and I dip it in my milk. (laughs) I'm what? Hold on. You milk? what? I make sure all, you know, I get the crust so it doesn't have any sauce or anything on it. And I always have, even all of my life, I've always dipped my pizza crust in my milk, whatever kind of milk I was drinking. That's weird. <laughs> that is an interesting choice. I don't know. I do weird things with my food. So. I'm going to disagree with you on that. that could end at I do weird things. <laughs> my kids would agree with that for sure. <laughs> Hey, Bonnie, what's up? I called to tell you how to eat pizza. Okay. Oh, tell us how to tell eat pizza. Tell us how to eat pizza, Bonnie. You got to have ranch dressing on. That's all there is to it. <laughs> I'm not going to argue there. My daughter cannot eat a piece of pizza unless there is ranch. I have seen her turn down pizza if there was no ranch. The only pizza I can eat without ranch 
is the Casey's bacon cheeseburger pizza. That is phenomenal. What about taco pizza? That's good, too, but I don't like all the chips on top. I have to take all that off. You are a true <laughs> Iowan. You're getting Casey's pizza, and you're putting ranch dressing on it. I know, and I'm, I'm with that other lady about saving the crust for last, but instead of putting mine in milk, I want ranch dressing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> pizza crust and ranch dressing is a delicacy. Every night before I climb into bed, I face this dilemma. Mm. I have... A queen size bed, which is plenty big for me, mm-hmm. but it's not big enough for me and Bagel the Beagle and Magnum, the big fat orange tabby cat, <laughs> because it's gotten to the point where they know when I'm getting ready for bed and they will race me to it. <laughs> All right. So last night I walked in and I see the site that I normally see. Mm-hmm. I see Bagel the Beagle and Magnum, the big fat mouthy orange tabby cat laying where I lay in the bed. That is my spot. It doesn't matter that I'm single. It's still my spot. That's my spot. And I look at those two boys and I said to myself, you know, Jen, (laughs) there is a whole other side of the bed. And I look over at the frontier, which is yet to be explored. And I'm like, huh? Okay. You went to the empty side. I crawled over Bagel the Beagle and Magnum the Big Fat Orange Mouthy Tabby Cat. And I crawled under the covers. They both turned and looked at me like, what are you doing? Because normally I will like try to insert myself uh-huh. in between the two of them, sleep in some kind of weird yeah. thing that sends me to the chiropractor the next day. Yep. Nope. I went and slept on the other side of the bed. That's like sitting on the other side of church, Jen. I spread out. I had a pillow all to myself. I woke up this morning happy and refreshed and the boys were still sleeping in the exact same spot. I was sleeping in the exact same spot. I walked into the bathroom and I thought to myself, what other frontiers do I need to explore? You should wake up on the wrong side of the bed more often. It's an interesting part of our lives that gets ruled by habit is what side of the bed we sleep on. Seriously? I mean, at home, my wife and I have defined sides of the beds that each of us sleeps on. Mm-hmm. When Lindsay's gone, I still sleep on my side of the bed. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. The only time we switched sides of the bed in the history of our marriage is when we moved and the bed was on the far wall instead of the near wall. <laughs> then and you so, didn't know what to do. But going into the hotels, that's when it gets really interesting because it's not your home. Nope. And for whatever reason, there's apparently no such thing as a hotel room with only one bed. Not unless you get a king size and I don't even know if they have those anymore. I know. I, I go into hotel rooms like on, on business trips and stuff like that and there's two beds in there. And one of you. And one of me. And you have to decide. <laughs> like, am I going to rotate them? Do I want to like keep one fresh? Like you get... You, you sleep on one one night and the next night you get a fresh bed that hasn't even been touched or does the other one, which this mostly happens to me, it becomes a deconstructed dresser. <laughs> That's <laughs> you where you, you put you put your suitcase on there and you, there's my shirts and there's my pants and there's my socks and everything's all laid out there for me on the bed. I know, but how do you choose which one to sleep on and then how do you choose which side to sleep on in that bed that you chose to sleep in? I think the one closest to me ends up being the one where I dump all my luggage because I'm too tired to do anything else. And then you've already told us you sleep like a starfish. I do. (laughs) Spread out my arms and legs, see if I can touch each corner of the bed. Man. Oh, the things that make us happy. You haven't slept well until you've slept starfishy. (laughs) Starfishy is the title of my James Bond movie. I'm afraid my wife and I have developed a reputation at social gatherings. (laughs) 
We, oh, you have a reputation, all right. But I thought, I mean, Lindsay's perfect. I don't know what you're saying. No, we so we get together with our church group every Thursday night. Okay. And, you know, it starts at 7 o'clock. We like to be in bed by 9 o'clock. So <laughs> often it gets closer and closer to bedtime. And there will come a point in our gathering where Lindsay will just look and she'll say, you guys, I think it's bedtime. <laughs> And it's like things start I, winding down. I love how you say it like that. It's bedtime. It's be- because it is, Jen. I turn into a pumpkin if we stay up too late. Apparently, Lindsay, too. And so you guys don't mind saying that and then being the first people to leave. Here's the thing, though. A couple weeks ago, we were not able to make our church group. And I kid you not, the next time we heard from somebody that they were sad that we weren't there because no one was there to tell them it was bedtime. <laughs> Literally, somebody said, Lindsay isn't here to tell us it's bedtime. We're going way too late, you guys. So we have the reputation of bedtime enforcers. You need to invite me over again because I want, okay. I want you and Lindsay to both look at me and go, Jen, it's bedtime. Jen, it's past. And she's like, I'm not tired. Just one more glass of water. I don't know why child Jen sounds like Gilbert Gottfried. I'm not. If you think about it, you could probably do a TED Talk about all of the rules and the do's and the don'ts and the social expectations of get-togethers and parties. I mean, really, when you put a group of humans together, there's all sorts of expectations. But (laughs) I have an unwritten rule that I will not be the first person to leave a party. Taylor and Lindsay have no problem being the first people to leave a party. If it's on a work night and I got to get up the next morning, I'm going to be like, you guys, it's past my bedtime. You you enjoy the night while it's young. <laughs> Kelly, are you ever the first one to leave a party? Yes, but I hate it. And I usually, if I'm the first person to leave the party, I try to like thank the hostess and quietly exit. Yes! Oh, and why? A stealth Quiet. exit. Why do you do that? Because yeah. everybody else follows after. Right, because I just don't want them to feel like... Like they have to break up the fun yes. because I have like other commitments or a life or I'm exhausted or I've got a life outside of you guys. Usually I'm just tired. I know. My people would be like, What are you thinking about? If I didn't say anything for a couple minutes, then I would say my pajamas. <laughs> it's that time. Tissue alert. Tissue alert. Tissue alert. Tissue alert. We, we've been informed it's important that we issue these tissue alerts before we share a story of Warm Your Heart with you. You we, know, we ask you to tell us the stories of people here in central Iowa who are having a hard time heating their homes during this winter because of financial issues, difficulties, so their furnaces don't work, they can't fix them, or they can't replace them. But Service Legends is giving away 30 free furnaces. So we got to talk recently with Elizabeth about someone she thought could use a furnace. She's my mom. She's an amazing, caring person. Her condo had flooded twice in the time she's owned it back in 2016. Instead of like replacing the furnace, they tried to dry it out. Mm. Well, a couple days ago, she actually cut herself on it trying to change the furnace filter, but they didn't put it together right. And so she cut herself on it. Mm. I guess they nominated her because the last year has probably been one of the hardest years of our lives. We lost my grandma back in March and my grandma was kind of the the heart of the family and my mom's best friend, you know. I lost my dad last year and 
we also lost my aunt in July. And so it's just kind of been one thing after another. But she even tries to take care of me, even though she has so much on her own plate. And I was in a car accident back in October, and she literally left work to, you know, be with me. Mm. And she's just an amazing person. She just keeps going. Like, I don't know how she keeps going, but she does. And she's there for everyone. I guess that's kind of why I nominated her because I would give her an island, but that's not in my budget. I do DoorDash. She sounds wonderful, Elizabeth. She's amazing. Like she, I mean, she raised me as a a single mom. So probably a new furnace would take a little bit off of her shoulders. Oh, oh yeah. (laughs) Elizabeth, we've got Brian Leach here from Service Legends, and I think he wants to chat with you. Hey there. First, thanks for nominating your mom. And I will tell you, if a furnace gets uh, water on it, flooded like that, it's a no bueno, no go situation. Insurance companies will tell us, condemn it. It's done. Yeah. But we want to grant your mama a free furnace, so we're going to get her taken care of. Oh, you're going to make me cry. Well, that's good, because I cry too, (laughs) as soon as I read them, you know? Um, So Brian Brian came in here wiping his eyes. I I was tearing up on the way in. Um, But we're going to take care of it, and the awesome part is is you get to tell her. You're you're going to be the one to let her know. Okay, I already have tears in my eyes, and I got to go take this order, so they're probably going to think I'm crazy, but it's okay. It's worth it. I love it. Go be crazy. You go be crazy. Call your mom then, okay? I will. Thank you so much. There are two different types of people in the world. And I got to watch a socioeconomic example of it just the other day in my own living room. Your your living room is a petri dish of socioeconomical (laughs) studies. So two different types of people. One walks into the living room with her cup of coffee on a Saturday morning. And I walk into the living room... And Bagel the Beagle is in my very favorite spot on the couch. Oh, Bagel. So what do I do? I take my coffee and I go to a different part of the couch. You go to your second favorite spot. I go to my second favorite spot on the couch, which is any other. Respect the dog. I respect the dog because Bagel the Beagle was there. Out from her room comes my 20-year-old daughter. Shuffles away into the kitchen. Comes out of the kitchen holding her cup of coffee walks right over to her favorite spot on the couch where Bagel the Beagle is currently sleeping. She scoops him up, dumps him out on the floor, Whoa! and she sits in her and my favorite spot on the couch. Wow. Two different types of people. One who will not move their pet if they're sitting in their favorite spot, and the other who will. You've got a scooper and a relocator. <laughs> I don't think I even realized it was an option. When I watched my (laughs) daughter just kind of scoop the dog out of her favorite spot and sit down, I was like, "Eh, is that that's got to be against some sort of law. What are you doing? And she's like, well, he was in my spot. He's okay." I think we can learn a lot about a person by asking this simple question. What do you do when your pet is sitting in your favorite spot? I have a very big two year old German shepherd that's a baby. And she keeps my spot warm for me when I go and get my coffee ready. Then I'll come out and I'll look at her while she's sitting on the couch. And I'll say, hey, baby girl, can you move over? You're sitting in mommy's spot. (laughs) And she'll look at me and she just looks at me and she gets up and she scoots over to the next cushion. Oh, she does it! She does, yep. And I sit down and then she waits till I sit down and she puts her head on my lap. (laughs) 
That's the most wonderful thing. Yep, I don't have to move her. I just look at her and I say, scoot over, baby. Oh, you have a good dog. What's her name? I do. Her name is Dakota. Dakota, the German Shepherd dog. That is so adorable. I love it. Thank you for telling us about that. I just can't imagine it. I just can't imagine moving Bagel the Beagle from his warm and happy spot on the couch, even if it is my favorite spot. Apparently, your daughter totally can because she'll just lift Bagel up and let him sit somewhere else. She dumps him on the floor. (laughs) Megan, are you a mover or a dumper when there's an animal in your favorite spot? So I actually have two Beagles as well. Um, And so I'm actually a... Squeezer. I don't. I know that wasn't an option, but if they're sitting in my spot, I just kind of squeeze my way in because I'm needy and I need them to need me. So we just all snuggle together. Do you like squeeze in between them? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. I wake up so uncomfortable in the morning because I just let them sleep however they want to sleep, or if they're in the couch and there's a. Just a little spot. I think, well, they need me to sit with them. So they I'll need it. Right in and I'll get a little thrown out of them. And yep. one will look back at me like, Mom, you're crazy. But I, I just need them to need me. I, yep. He gets the text message and immediately looks at his wife and says, Honey, we got to pull over for just a second. It's football season. And this was an NFL wide receiver going out to date night with his wife. And and he had to pull over because he got because he got a text message. He got a text message because he said, I, "I think I think I need to cry for a second. What? Wait a minute. NFL players cry. Yep. Yeah, believe it or not, they do. This NFL wide receiver got a text message from his quarterback just out of the blue, unprompted by anything. And the quarterback says, "You know what? I was just thinking about you. I think you might be the best football player I have ever played with." Wow. And he said he was so overcome with emotion because he knew like he respected this quarterback, this quarterback respected him. But to hear it stated so plainly, it was really interesting as he was he shared this in an interview recently. And he said, I realize that as a man, I don't often tell the men in my life what they mean to me. Wow. And here this guy just like put it all out there and all of a sudden it hit him in a really special way and it just kind of crystallized something about their friendship. I mean, seriously, if you have to pull over to kind of absorb the gravity of the situation, why don't you guys text each other more about stuff like that? It's hard. You have to couch it in like an insult. (laughs) Taylor! Literally, there's, there's somebody at one of our sister stations who just got a promotion, and I sent him something snarky attached to the congratulations. You guys, are you allergic to emotion? I, maybe. <laughs> we get very uncomfortable giving compliments, but they're so good to give. Some of the most beautiful friendships that I've ever encountered and read about are in the Bible. Yeah. And they're between men. Are you thinking about uh, David and Jonathan? Well, sure. That's a close friendship. But think about even Jesus and his disciples. Yeah. Or Peter and Paul. And they give encouragement to each other all the time. Exhortation. Yep. Sometimes if you think about Paul and Peter. Mm-hmm. But done in love. 
So why is it that in our real life, not I mean, that's real life, too, <laughs> yeah. but in today life that you hear a lot and actually you experience a lot that it's difficult for men to be friends and to have that basis of biblical encouragement? I know for me, sometimes I feel the pressure to be the tough guy who doesn't show oh. a vulnerable side mm. and to especially to another man. Like it's a lot easier for me to tell my wife how, how strongly I feel about her. But to another man where there's this kind of should I do I need to be tough in front of this guy and not actually say, hey, I deeply care about you and your friendship matters a lot to me. Do I need to cloak it in sarcasm so I don't seem too vulnerable? I think. I think God-given masculinity is a beautiful thing. I also think that God-given friendship between two men are a beautiful thing. And not that I want to start a sociology class, but I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. No, no. I, I look at the greetings and the blessings that Paul gives in his books. And goodness gracious, that man can gush. <laughs> Have you read what he says about how he feels about people? And yet nobody would say that Paul wasn't a very masculine man. So whether you're a man or a woman, let's normalize telling the people in our life how deeply we care about them. Because guess what? When I've done that, I've felt just as good as the person I'm telling it to. I think we just kind of expect girls to be relationshipy, and we text each other heart emojis all the mm-hmm. time, and we're kind of expected to be the ones with, quote, more friends. But if you look at the Bible, many of the most beautiful friendships were between men. So we're, you know, trying to kind of figure out what are those expectations on men that keep us from connecting on a deeper level. Janice has an interesting theory on this. My husband comes to mind and he has only in his life had very few friendships and all of them have been with much older men. Hmm. And I've often wondered about this. And so after 25 years, I've come to the conclusion that he fears that other men have a better understanding of God's Word and the Bible, Mm. and that he doesn't get it, and he's afraid to open up and share about any of that. With the older men, he takes the position as they're his mentor. So that's where the comfort in that relationship. He doesn't expect from himself to be an equal, but rather a student. So I'm wondering if there's too many other men that sometimes fall into that same trap among their Christian brothers. I think there might be a little something to that. Obviously, there's an unhealthy direction to go there. But when you come into that relationship and you take the pressure off your shoulders to be the expert in the room. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's some Bible verse about considering others to be better than yourself. I'm not. (laughs) That might be in there somewhere. Male friendships are just tricky. Maybe you're a guy and you're raising your hand right now saying, yeah, it's not it's not easy. Or maybe there's a man who who means a lot to you and you're watching them try and live up to these expectations of like, oh, yeah, men are gruff and, yep. and powerful, but also they need to be sensitive, but they need to be this. And it can be hard to make connections. Yeah, I have a 17 year old son and boy, I would love for him to go through his life having rich, meaningful male friendships. But it seems to be particularly difficult in our culture. I think what I'm realizing is that for me personally, I do hunger for those vulnerable friendships, Mm -hmm. but there's always that risk that, well, maybe the other person doesn't want that vulnerability. They want to keep their shields up. And Ah. as soon as I lower my shield to say, hey, this is what I want, they can bounce me right back. Fear of rejection is a very, very real thing.
You know who the most recent person to kind of lower that shield for me and bring me in is my little brother. Oh. A couple years ago. <laughs> I love Nate. My brother Nathan sent me, we're on the Marco Polo app, so you send video messages back and forth, and he sent me a Marco Polo, and he said, I want to be closer friends with you, which is like- Your brother sent you that. That's a vulnerable thing to say. Yeah. But he says that, and he says, but I am terrible at text messaging. I am really good at using Marco Polo. So if you are willing, we can send Marco Polos back and forth. And of course you said yes. Yeah, I did. And we have, I mean, it's just these long stream of consciousness conversations that go back and forth with us, With which by the way, when you don't have the opportunity to interrupt somebody, it's interesting how much more you learn about them Ooh. in a video text message. But after a couple of years, it was on New Year's Day that my brother sent me a message and he said, you know what? I have realized one of my favorite things about this past year has been our video conversations together. There wasn't any sarcasm in it. There wasn't a backhanded compliment. It was a genuine expression of the value he had in the friendship. And I have not had those kinds of conversations in friendship very often. Like with my wife, I tell her how much I value that relationship. And that might be it. <laughs> and so obviously I returned the comment and I said, man, this this has meant so much to me, too. I have so loved that, you know, we get to dig deeper into our relationship, even though we live far away. And I think there's just something about being the one to lower your shield, reach out and pull somebody in. You never know what kind of friendship that's going to begin. The Taylor and Jen podcast is a product of Northwestern Media, a ministry of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can hear more from Taylor and Jen weekday mornings online at life1071.com or on the Life 107.1 app.